I think theology's for the clergy. I just believe in Jesus. Certain hermeneutics of eschatology demand an exegetical approach. I think you shouldn't question what you were taught in church. Isn't that blasphemy or something? Welcome to the broadcast, folks. This is Theology Unplugged, Credo House Ministries. I am joined here in the studio by Tim, JJ, and Sam. Welcome, guys. Thank you. Good to be here. Welcome to all of our audience members. If you have uh, not been with us before, this may be your first time joining us. We encourage you to go take a look at the archives of Theology Unplugged. We've got plenty of archives going back. Gosh, I think it's been six years or seven years now, and that's that's a long time for theology podcast. Yeah, going way back. Podcast period. And you were interviewing people a long time. You actually interviewed Sam, right, on a radio program a long time ago? It was about 2006 or seven. Yeah, that was the first contact I had with Sam. I remember sitting outside getting my tires changed and very nervous because Sam, I was talking to Sam. He's he's kind of a big deal. I get nervous whenever I talk to big deals. Yeah. You know, they intimidate me. I mean, I'm nervous (laughs) right now because JJ's in here. (laughs) Still on probationary status. Don't, don't butter me up. <laughs> um, we are continuing today to discuss, as many of you may know, um, our uh, – wait a minute. i got to get back to where to get the archives. Get the archives on iTunes. Go to iTunes. Check it out. You can also go to our site. We've got a lot of the archives there. But the best way to get is iTunes, right? Yeah, because you can subscribe to it that way. And so just in the iTunes store or on your iPad or iPhone, you can just search. I think if you start typing theology. You guys are the first thing that comes up. Yeah, I think Theology Unplugged is the first thing that comes up. in the Theology app as well. Put a little I think by the time of this broadcast, potentially, well, no, it won't be, but shortly after the broadcast of this, uh, we'll have our first major update of the Theology app as well. Good, good. So you'll, be actually, you'll actually be able to, if you just go to theologyapp.org, you can get a link to it, um, but you'll actually be able to download all of the theology programs. So if you're going on an airplane ride or something, you can, or on a road trip or wherever, you can actually watch it on your device without having to. We had to make it originally where you couldn't download all of it because it would be about six. 16 gigabytes and it would fill up your phone so we made it now where you can just selectively download certain classes so you can also get you guys at bridgeway right at itunes yes so so those of you who have been listening to us for a while and uh like what you hear with sam um he's got his almost done with the gospel of mark yeah gospel of mark what would they search bridgeway church bridgeway church it should pop right up yeah itunes or you can log on to the website and watch it bridgeway.com bridgewaychurch.com bridgewaychurch.com all right patty and i about two weeks ago listened to one of your messages so thank you oh you're welcome (laughs) (laughs) bored were you yeah yeah i couldn't sleep she couldn't sleep so it was it was was nice thank you i remember half of it it's a great sedative (laughs) (laughs) well we're continuing our discussion today specifically on uh the gifts of healings uh, the gift of healing, as uh, some people may say it, but it's uh, underneath uh, our Why I Am Not Charismatic series. So those of you who are just joining us, we're having a discussion. we got two guys in here that are charismatic and two guys in here that are not charismatic. In other words, we got two guys who believe in the continuation of, let's see here, what's the word we agree upon? We, we're, we're okay with supernatural gifts, right? That's miraculous gifts. Miraculous gifts. All the gifts. <laughs> You guys believe in all the gifts we we believe in we're, in the Bible. We're kind of <laughs> okay. Trying to find a how would you explain it? Uh, I don't know. I I I don't know. They they don't like the deal of supernatural. I keep on trying to keep it from that. I don't mind the supernatural idea, but 
I know in the Four Views book, I think the view we most tend to was referred to as open but cautious. Hmm. Yeah, that's kind of a weird. Yeah, I, I don't know if I'd hold on to that. Well, I think that I may end up saying that I am a uh, obviously non-charismatic right now, but it may be that I end up in the camp that I've been in before that is just kind of this de facto cessationist, and we'll have to get into that a little bit more later. Last time, we ended by talking about the gift of healing, and Sam was talking about how he has experienced the gift of healing, not in the sense that he has been healed, but in the sense that um, he has two times in your life, right? Mm-hmm. Was that it? Two times. Not, not that this is the only two times you've seen it, but two times in your life where you believe that you have been used for the gift of healing. And I said at the end of the broadcast last time, we need to discuss that because most people who are listening to this would assume that when you guys talk about the gift of healing, you believe that somebody out there in your church, Joe Smith, has the gift of healing. Take anybody to him and he can heal them. Um, or there's somebody in the world that has the gift of healing that everybody can go to in droves and expect to be healed. But that is not what you believe. That's correct. That is not what I believe. Tell us, uh, why is this? Why is the plural in gifts of healing important with regards to this? Well, let's be honest about it. We are all facing the same problem when we see these words in the plural because we don't know what Paul meant. I, I, I don't know what. I have, I have no text that I can necessarily go to where Paul defines uh, why uh, what, what gifts of healings are. The simple fact is, both in 1 Corinthians 12 and in, at the, in um, verse 7 through 10, also at the end of the chapter, the only two places, as far as I know, where this is referred to in the New Testament, both the word gift in the original text is plural, and the word healing is plural, gifts of healings. And so the idea that there is such a thing as the gift of healing in the same sense in which there is the gift of teaching is something I don't think is taught in Scripture. Let's just compare the two. Um, I'm assuming, I believe, Michael, you have the, the gift of teaching. I think I have the gift of teaching. We can teach anytime. You can wake me up out of a dead sleep, and I can probably teach. I might not be real coherent, but I can teach. It's, it's a permanent gift. It's residential. It resides within me. It's not something that I have to live. Now, granted, I have to, I'm dependent upon, I trust, the empowering and the energizing of the Spirit to quicken my mind and whatever. But the gift of teaching is something that I can pretty much exercise at my will, as I think you can with your gift. I don't believe healing functions in that way in the New Testament. I don't think Paul had the gift of healing in the sense that he could, at his will, heal anyone of any disease at any time. We, in fact, have three counterexamples. Actually, four if we include Paul himself. We have Epaphroditus, Trophimus, Timothy, and then Paul, if his thorn in the flesh was, in fact, some sort of physical affliction, where he was not able to heal at his will. So I see a distinction among the gifts between what I would call permanent residential gifts like teaching, uh, perhaps like leadership, uh, like giving, like mercy, service. Uh, These are are gifts that people uh, exercise at their will at all times. And then we have what I would call circumstantial or occasional gifts. In other words, gifts that come to us in a particular circumstance on a unique occasion 
in, and, and as such are entirely dependent upon the sovereignty of God. And I think healing is particularly one of those. I think that, um, for example, I, I'll just give you an illustration. Uh, I won't mention his name, but I can remember when I was teaching at Wheaton College, a particular uh, individual stood up in the chapel and was denouncing what he believed was the gift of healing and somewhat sarcastically said, if this gift is still in operation, then let's all dismiss chapel, go down to the uh, DuPage County Hospital, and we'll empty the place. And I thought that is, a, in my opinion, a profound misunderstanding of what gifts of healings are. Um, no one will be healed apart from the sovereign will of God in that particular moment when we are praying for that particular person. And the idea that it's something that if it's, in, if it's present and continues in the church and is operational, that we can utilize it all, at all times for all diseases, for all people. I, I, think, I just don't see that consistent with the New Testament. And it seems to me that there's a better way of understanding the use of these plurals in Paul's language. Grudem, Grudem has been helpful here. He said, look, if we say that he never heals, we're contradicting the clear command of James 5, you know, that you need, you need to seek this, you need to ask the elders to lay hands on you. If we say that he seldom heals, we have to admit that's a great hindrance to trust and expectation. If we say that he always heals, it's cruel and unbiblical, as, as Tim was pointing out. So between seldom and always is something else that's this eschatological tension. I think this of all these miraculous gifts is most tied up with eschatology perhaps. This idea that already not yet that Jesus inaugurated something but it hasn't been fully consummated and we're living in that tension. He's healing but not everyone is healed. You know, and when you look at Acts 3 he pulls the paralytic to his feet but I don't think we're led to believe after reading that passage that every paralytic he passed his entire ministry as an apostle he was compulsively yanking them to their feet as he walked down the street you know a measure of faith was given to him in that moment but do you think he would say I have the gift of healing if you asked him after he had been healing those people no I do not you would think he'd say God use me to I think he would heal say, people I think he would say I had a gift for a healing that God sovereignly enabled me to exercise according to his will at that particular moment. And so that's what you'd say now, too. No one, There should be no human being alive today that says, I have the gift of healing. I, you're exactly right. I would, I would strongly oppose anybody who makes that claim. Now, having said that, is it possible that there are some people in the body of Christ who operate at a more consistent and frequent level in this gifting than others. And I think that that's entirely possible. It may be that God has, um, in his sovereign purposes, determined to utilize a particular person more frequently and effectively than others in the exercise of these particular of this particular mm-hmm. charisma. And I think that's certainly a possibility. Um, I have a friend in Kansas City who... Um, for whatever reason that I is known only to God, I suppose, was remarkably effective, and Michael, you'll love to hear this, in praying for people with back problems. Um, and I would, we would take many people to him. He didn't always pray with, um, with healing power. There were m- probably most left him in the condition in which they came. But I saw more um, effectiveness and more success from him in praying for back problems than I would see in others. And that wouldn't necessarily apply perhaps to another kind of affliction. Um, so, no, I, I, getting back to your question, if anybody 
stands up, as I'm sure some do, and say, I have the gift of healing, I, I would disagree with them. I, I just simply think that's a not biblical terminology in the first place. Mm-hmm. And I just don't see it consistent with what I see in the New Testament. In the second, and folks, you know, we we spend a lot of time on this and, and giving Sam and JJ a, a lot of the floor, not because we don't want to talk about, you know, hey, what about this? What about this? But because it's so important to know what you. If I'm not charismatic, what does it mean to be charismatic? Because sometimes you're not what you are not, but what you are not is based upon a false perception of what is out there. And so, and by the way, let me just say this, for, and I encourage people to go and read both your and uh, my um, blog post on the subject of healing. In my opinion, I think this is the issue, at least thus far, on which we are closest in our beliefs. Hmm. Um, now, in terms of how we live out and practice ministry to the sick and the hurting it might be different but in terms of our theological understanding of the nature of healing i think we're probably closer on this because um you um i'm trying to remember exactly how you said it but you said something it was to the, very profound it was that's why it's my mind can't get <laughs> it just to, blew your it. mind you can't even remember it <laughs> absolutely um you seem to suggest that um for somebody to claim that they had the gift of healing and that they could function and operate in this at a consistent level of effectiveness, um, that not believing that um, disqualifies you as being charismatic. Well, I don't believe it, but I am charismatic. So I think that uh, what we're both standing opposed to is the presumptuous um, word of faith mentality, which argues that healing is always God's will, that the only reason healing does not occur is because of some failure of faith or some lingering unconfessed sin or uh, some other factor over which we have personal control. And we would both disagree with that, would we not? No, yeah. And, you know, I mean, where we're coming to in this, let me say one thing at first, is that, you know, just before you said that, I was thinking, you know, this, this is something that, you know, in the end, it's it's so close and I, I don't really have a problem, you know, with that, if that's the way the, here's what I think would be the issue with me first is to say, okay, so what you guys are saying is that the gift of healing as expressed in first Corinthians chapter 12, um, is a unique gift that was exercised possibly by Jesus was probably exercised by the apostles as well. They probably had gifts of healing, Right. Uh, would you say that Jesus and the apostles had gifts of healing whenever they were able to heal? Or would you say that this was a unique manifestation because of their apostolic authority, possibly? So therefore, this particular gift, such as word of wisdom, word of knowledge, that we don't know that much how to define it outside of the context, is something that is experientially defined in the church and as the church has grown in this. Because obviously, you guys would agree with me with this. You guys would say that there's nobody out there holding crusades. There's nobody out there that's healing entire cities like Jesus was, you know, where nobody left there unhealed at times. You would say that there's nobody out there that is manifesting in the same way and to the same degree throughout. And I know we got to wait till we get to church history to talk about this, but, but now at least, right? I'd agree. Yeah, you're right. Correct. There's no one doing that. And if they're claiming that they are, they're frauds. 
But see, here, here's what it is then, is that like we talked about beforehand about prophecy and how we had a disagreement there where you said that the prophecy in the New Testament is different than the prophecy in the Old Testament. Um, you're kind of saying the gift here is different as it is exercised than not only people out there perceive it, you know, the gift of healing and everybody, one person has it and you clear out hospitals, but it is, um, it, it is unique in its manifestation through the Spirit, through the will of God, and you, you never know when you're going to be used in this way. Um, you can always hope you are going to be used in this way. And then whenever it comes down to that, I mean, here to go all the way around, whenever it comes down to that, practically speaking, that's, that's the same view that me and Tim would hold, right? I think we may have less expectation, although we got an argument last time about the word expectation, right? That's right. Um, I, get, yeah. I mean, maybe it's because I'm leaving my camp. Maybe it's because I'm not quite as smart, but I, I just think much more pragmatically about these things. It comes back to the loving parent with the loving child. I want to know what the state of someone's heart is. The bottom line is answers that come from God that are confusing, that are contrary to what you hoped for, um, that don't pan out just like you liked. You know, when Abraham's told he's going to have a son, you know, God doesn't give him the asterisk that it's going to take a couple decades. And so there's layers of cynicism that come in and hopelessness. So my interest is always for that person to be peeling back those layers that they would maintain a biblical expectation, um, a humble expectancy that their father loves to give good gifts to their kids and that they would continue to ask. I'm more concerned that someone would stop asking that, uh, and that layers of cynicism would grow over their heart. And, yeah, I, I agree, and I, I come back to your question, Michael. I think you're right. I think the difference is less in our theology of healing and more in how we think we should, let's say, orchestrate ministry or pastoral care in the life of the local church. So, for example, um, if, you, if, if you come to Bridgeway on a Sunday morning, every single Sunday— and now that we're at two services, after each service, we pray for the sick. We invite them to the front. We say, if you have physical problems, you have illness, you have disease, we believe that our God is a healing God, and we want to pray for you. And we're going to lay hands on them, and we're going to pray for them. We regularly, as elders, are asked, in accordance with James 5, to, in fact, one of our own elders who was in the hospital recently, called late at night. All the elders showed up at the hospital bed. We anointed him with oil, and we prayed for his healing. We do that at the drop of a hat without hesitation. It is a common, regular feature of what we do. Um, our, I, I would suspect that your church life might look a little bit differently, that, that people are not perhaps as quick or as open or as uh, ready to ask for that kind of prayer on a regular basis well, I think was, as they are in our body, simply because there is again, I don't know what I don't want to use the word expectation. There is a uh, gosh, a confidence in the heart of God toward His children, as JJ just expressed, that we see reflected in Scripture that um, empowers and encourages us to make this a regular part of our daily life as Christians, and especially as those who are in pastoral leadership. Uh, it's not because we, you know, as someone expressed to me recently who really disagreed, who was from the Word of Faith camp, who took issue with my views, who said, it's not an issue of whether God wills to heal. God has already done absolutely everything he will ever do to provide for healing in the cross of Christ. It's there for the taking. 
And I, I think that's horrendous, and I think that's uh, destructive to the body of Christ. And um, I immediately raised several counterexamples um, to this individual, but we don't need to go into them. But I do think there's a difference in how we walk this out practically and pastorally in our in our individual lives and in our church context. Would you not agree with that? Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I mean, it... it it comes down to this this idea of expectation. I do want you guys to speak to the person who's out there, such as me, that has hope. And sometimes I think that people on my side, and I don't know whether this is just a moment of trying to be honest or a moment of what I what I believe in my theology more, um, believe that contentment in the pain, that physical pain, the the suffering that that brings about is a badge of honor to the Lord that we can present when we finally become content. And if we are continually, I mean, it's like at some point, and I haven't gotten to this point yet with my mom, you know, I'm still walking down the street with her all the time, put my hands on her and, you know, trying formulas, you know, of prayer that, that I, that I know better, but you know, whenever you're in a desperate situation and, and it's so hurting, you're like, I'll, I'll do whatever Lord, you know, and, but, in the end, you stop back. You say, okay, Lord, fine. That's fine. I'll go through this pain. I'll keep this infirmity. I'll bear this hurt. Um, it obviously is not your will to heal me. Now, that's the thing that I believe deep down on my best day. It See, lo- I would never say that. Yeah, yeah. And that's where I think that we would depart is that you wouldn't say that it is the Lord's will for us to have these infirmities. No, I would say that. I'm simply saying we don't know. I don't know, sitting here across from you, knowing your back problem, for example, I do not know whether it's God's will for you to live the rest of your days on this earth with that affliction and trust um, uh, entirely in the goodness of God uh, in in spite of the uh, the affliction and the the discomfort that you have to face. I I don't presume to know that because the Bible doesn't tell me explicitly. And God hasn't spoken to me in any way to tell uh, me that, that that is the case. I would simply say that I believe it is our responsibility to pray for healing. And if God does not heal, we say, Lord, your grace is sufficient. And there's things far more important than physical welfare, namely the conformity of my heart to Jesus and my trust in your goodness in spite of bad circumstances and in spite of pain. But, Lord, until you tell me it's not your will to heal me, I'm going to continue to ask that you would heal me. Okay, then let's say these two paths that we have to go down, because here's the confusing part. Whenever you're sitting at home and and you're quiet praying to the Lord, you say, okay, I I am a charismatic. I believed in, in gifts of healing. I believe that I may have a gift of healing. Is that true? Anybody can have a gift of healing, right? Sure. Okay, I believe that I may have a gift of healing, but I also believe that there may be somebody out there that may have a gift of healing. And you say, do I need to find the right person to take my mom to? Is it, is, is it sometimes a matter of that in your worldview? I mean, now my mom's, it's, it's pretty much that we're probably not going to be taking her to church to church to church to church and people to people. Okay, let's try this guy. Let's try this guy. Let's try a girl now, you know, and try the egalitarian charismatic worldview type thing. I mean, you see the what ans- I'm saying? The answers to those questions feel like heart, heart answers. In other words, there isn't, I don't think, a... A blanket statement for that. That's an excellent example. The issue, again, for me, if I were you in that place, is I would be constantly examining my heart. 
if someone called me and said, hey, Michael, there's someone who would really like to pray for your mom. Would you be willing to bring her over? Ah, we've done that before. Okay, is there a layer of cynicism growing over my heart where it really wouldn't be too much of a stretch to just go and well, do that? Well, I would never say something like that because if somebody sure. called and said that, I sure. mean, that's something that is a call from the Lord to me. But then knowing that the my Lord. God is a good God, it's not going to be, oh, if I had the money to fly my mother to Chile to get this one guy, then she could be healed. You know, that's a really sick view of God. So there's this balance that says he's well, good. That's it, that's it right there. I mean, yeah. you just stated it. That's yeah. a sick view of God. And that's yeah. the way that I feel is that yeah. – at what point do we cross the boundaries and God's grace is no longer effective and he's sitting here waiting for us to do something, the right thing, make the right move? Because I don't know how to, if I, if the problem is, and I'm not saying you guys believe this, but if the problem is that I'm not taking her to the right person or I haven't mustered up the right kind of faith, I'd love to, Lord, whatever I need to do, just give it to me. Those That's- are questions of divine guidance, you know, and there's a complexity there. But again, they're often, I think, heart answers. It makes me think of Paul Miller's recent book, A Praying Life, a profound book. Um, one of his children is autistic, and he writes in, at length of what it's like to have an extremely autistic child and the brokenness, but they love her. He's going camping with his other five kids, and he comes upon one of his other daughters standing there at the car, frozen, and he says, what's wrong? And she said, I dropped my contact in the leaves, amidst all the leaves. And he said, don't move, let's pray. And she bursts into tears and says, why should I pray for this? You know, God's never healed my sister, and I've been praying for years. Hmm. So, so the question is, should they or should they not pray for the contact? Well, her answer was a hard answer. You know, and so that's that's again what I think is often most present. And once we deal with the heart questions, we can deal with some of the pragmatic, functional questions. But it seems like the heart questions are usually the ones that are more present in those moments. Well, and the heart questions do not go against methodology either. I right. mean, there there can be a methodology. You, you say, "Is anyone in your church sick? Let them pray right. for the elders." They don't say, "Well, if those elders don't work, go get some new elders." That's you know, right. it's that's kind right. of this one-time type deal. And if you know, God's yeah. going to heal him. He's going to heal him. Yeah. But is there a process in the charismatic view of the gift of healing that you guys go through? And when do you finally become content? Well, well that's, no, see, that, that's where yeah. that, that's where with Sam's example of of having at the service uh, to say, "Come forward if you're sick for healing or or for prayer, or however you want to say that." I would, if I'm planting a church today, I would say, as someone who is not a continuationist, I would say, I would love to do, I'd love to have the elders up front. I'd love to have this be a great, tangible evidence of our faith. Uh, being real and saying come forward and we are trusting the and believing and and hope that the lord would heal and even a possible aspect of of expecting the lord to heal but what my when i would go home and i'd be interacting with my wife and this is where i wonder if maybe this is where the difference is between the two of us possibly is that when i'm talking with my wife i'm gonna say honey I I just continue to pray that the Lord would heal these people and uh, and and that they would see that and that through that healing that they would not turn their back like you know when Jesus heals the group and only one returns to worship him that's not what I'm looking for I'm wanting I'm wanting that one who will return the one who's been healed I want a church full of that one person who returned and because the other nine were no better off or the other eight or I can't remember how many the others were no better off for being healed so I'm I'm that's my passion and that's my heart what I'm not talking to my wife about is I I just hope that people come to our church that have the gift of healing or I'm hoping that the Lord will bring someone with a gift of healing I'm saying 
honey, I, I hope the Lord heals these people and that with that they would be like the one who returns. And I wonder, and, and Sam, I don't think you're putting out an email blitz to everybody in your, you know, anybody, does anybody know anyone with the gift of healing that can come because that's what we do after the 10 a.m. service? No, no, we do not do that. <laughs> so, you know, that's where I wonder if we're so close. Because with prophecy, for instance, you know, viewing that as something edifying to the church, I'm probably not going to say, honey, I, I wish that the Lord would prophesy more or have people prophesy more in my body. So that is an area that where you will see that as beneficial, and we've discussed that. So, so I think that's why this one is different, is because I'm yearning for that edification of my body, and you're yearning for that edification of your body, and it's seems like we're almost seeing it three different ways because you're not saying i hope the lord brings people with the gift of healing you're just saying i hope the lord just heals these people right and if i could just come back to answer your question michael because i I think i know where you're coming from you're asking in essence not only for our listeners but for yourself what what do i do with myself with my mother uh, when we've repeatedly prayed we've asked we've done all that we think that was within the grace of god operating through us to do um, to receive this from the Lord and it hasn't happened, is there a point at which you simply resign yourself to the affliction, trusting in the sufficiency of God's grace and power, and stop asking him to heal and stop trying to uh, maybe berate yourself for not having confidence that he can or that, or that he would? And my response to that, I, I come back to the teaching of Jesus in Luke 11. It's also in Matthew where he said, ask and it will be given you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. And then it, you know, he's obviously emphasizing here a, a repetition, continually ask, continually knock, continually seek. And then he grounds that in the goodness of God. And he gives the example, you know, if, if you being an evil father aren't going to give your kid a scorpion when they ask for a fish, how much more will your heavenly father, who is infinitely good and compassionate, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So, I would say to people, and I I have on occasions, if you've come up for prayer every single Sunday for the last five years, don't stop coming up for prayer. Come again today. And the only warrant that I think they should have for not coming and asking yet again is if somehow, and I know this is another disputed point, that God has told them, don't go. Because I think he told Paul that. Yeah, I think, I think so too. I think Paul was in three, not just three isolated prayers, I think three prolonged seasons of intercessory appeal. Lord, please remove the thorn. Finally, God said, no, shut up. I'm not going to do it. My grace is sufficient for you. If you've heard that from God, if you've sensed that, even if you don't believe in some sort of revelatory disclosure to that effect, but you deeply sense it in your soul that God is saying no, then you have warrant to be content. But short of that or death itself, I say to people, come back. Keep coming. Keep seeking. Keep asking. Keep knocking. Keep coming knocking. where, though? That's the thing that I'm asking here. And I understand the prayer and the continual prayer for I these I don't things. believe it means keep running all over the country to any supposed anointed man of God or woman of God. I, do, you, I, do you think that, I mean, practically speaking, I should look across the city and try to find people who believe in this and, and try to take them to some of them? Or I, I think, as J.J. said, it's a matter of personal conscience. I don't think there's a blanket. Well, I'm trying uh, to create one. a conscience here, though. I mean, <laughs> well, it's like, but doesn't but, James 2 give us a hint? I mean, James 5 give us a hint? You know, Paul doesn't say, 
And I highly recommend if any of you has anyone sick, you know, that you go to this healer in Ephesus. He says, go to your elders and anoint and, and have them anoint but, you and be, uh, and be again, prayed for. Recognize, you know, it's less of a personality cult, it seems. In the okay, New then let's say the elders that we have do not believe in the continuation <laughs> of the gift of healing. That's a problem. Yeah. <laughs> you may say that God yeah. uses that anyway, right? I mean, you said yes. that with prophecy that you can't. Yeah. In some sense, if they're willing to, to anoint your God. mother with oil and pray for her that she would be healed, and I say hallelujah. Yes. Well, okay, would you see that there's a difference then of a church that doesn't believe in the gift of healing but prays night and day and the elders come, anoint, anoint the head with oil, seeking God to heal? I don't know is, of any such church. Yeah, that's called being inconsistent. Tell, I mean, oh. seriously, you're saying that if yeah. people don't believe that God heals today. They don't believe gifts of healings is continuing in the body according to the sovereign will of God, but they are fervently praying for the sick, laying hands on them and anointing them with oil on a regular basis. I, I don't think I've ever come across that church. No, yeah, I mean, I have. I have. Really? Yeah. Okay. Of, well, of then churches I would just that say that, that. There's, an, there's a functional inconsistency. In other words, we, we may talk to an Arminian who espouses things that we think have implications for diminishing God's glory, and yet the more we talk to them, the more we know that they have an incredibly robust view of his glory. And we would just have to say, your robust view of God's glory is biblical, but it's, it's inconsistent with some of the implications of other beliefs that you hold. I mean, we're all inconsistent. And by the way, I would say to him, I'm ecstatic that the church would continue to pray for healing in spite mm-hmm. of their belief otherwise. I think that's wonderful uh, in, in one sense because they are asking the Lord for his mercy. Uh, I'm not ecstatic about it to the degree that it might reflect some sort of hypocrisy or inconsistency in their beliefs, but mm-hmm. I trust that that is not the case. Yeah. L- let me, let me we're, we're out of time, I know, but let me, um, and I think Let's we're going to have to carry this on. We'll, what? Go back and uh, start again. Sorry. His... Uh, made some weird noises. Well, it was like hesitation talk. Well, but it was... Let me, let me, let me go back. (laughs) Um, Let me, let me, we're about out of time, so we've got to talk about, uh, I think we've got to talk about this again, because I've still got so much. And if I have so much, I know our listeners have a whole lot. And there's so much for me to say about uh, other things. But Sam, you had said something that was odd to me, and maybe I could say in confidence here because we love each other that it disturbed me one of you said that suffering is not our cross to bear um, physical suffering and that God it is not God's will for us to have this cross what do you mean by that well actually I don't believe I said it in precisely the way that you've just articulated it what I was trying to do was recognize in the gospels that nowhere does Jesus say that um, sickness or disease is something that God will lay upon his obedient children as a blessing to them in the course of their Christian life. Yeah, you did say that, and I agreed with that, and it's a blessing to them. But whenever you said that it is not a cross that we have to bear. Well, when Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me, what I think he was talking about was a willingness to embrace the slander, the rejection, the hatred of the world, um, the, um, the ridicule, um, and perhaps also the persecution that comes from confessing Christ. Um, I, I said that because I hear people oftentimes say, well, my um, arthritic knee or my um, coronary condition is the cross that God has given me to bear. And what they mean by that is, therefore, I will not ask him to take it away. That mm-hmm. was what I was trying to counter. Because if you look at on, in my book from which you quoted, 
What I'm saying there is, here are some things I want you to understand so that you will be encouraged to continue to pray for the sick. So, so, so my point was, people have said, suffer, a, a disease or a sickness is my cross to bear. Therefore, since God has laid that cross on me, I dare not continue to ask him to take it away. That's what I was trying to counter. Yeah, and, and that putting it that way in that context is much different from where I was, was perceiving that to say this is not something that is of the Lord, and it's something the Lord wants to take away, and it's not something that really he works in and through in my life to be able to make it better. And you think of people you know, with children that have very severe uh, diseases that are born with that, and, you know, Certainly, they could continue to to pray and should continue to pray, as you guys say. And I, I don't have any disagreement with that. I think, practically speaking, though, I, I I do give up a lot easier than you guys would want me to, uh, and, and do get into discouragement a lot easier and kind of punt somewhere else. We all do. Yeah, um, but um, it's not something that you're saying that God does not have in your life for a reason. Oh no, I definitely think that that God orchestrates in mysterious ways uh, physical suffering in our lives to accomplish redemptive purposes. Well, Absolutely. thorn in the flesh, if the thorn yeah. in the flesh is of the flesh, yes. you know. I okay. think what we want to avoid is resignation mm-hmm. or presumption. That makes sense. That makes yeah. sense. I understand where you're coming from now. You probably We probably ought to put that in the blog post, too, whenever you write a counter to me, just a short statement about well, that. Well, no, it was good. When you pointed that point that out in my book, I read it again today, and I thought, you know, I could have been clearer there. Because I, I, rereading it, I could say, yeah, I can see where Michael would draw that conclusion, and that isn't what I wanted to communicate. Yeah. So it's one of the, that's one of the dangers of being an author. You, All right. you write things, and then you go back and say, yeah, I could have said that perhaps in a way that would have eliminated some... Uh, some confusion and misunderstanding. Oh, good. I'm glad you guys, all of y'all, I'm glad you guys continue to stick with this. I know sometimes it's difficult, but I think it's edifying. I mean, it's edifying for me, and I think it'd be edifying. Gotten a lot of people that have written us and just said thank you so much for illustrating how to disagree. So lots of those types of comments. And we don't want to just illustrate how to disagree. We want the truth, and please understand that. But, of course, they can't see the blood on the table either. They don't see you guys driving home talking about us and cursing and us over here and um, making voodoo dolls of you all and stabbing them. Uh, but we love you guys. You guys are great. Uh, all of you. You're, you're great. Love to uh, have you continue on this. And I just appreciate so much your time that you commit to this. Uh, guys that are listening to us, thanks for you all continuing to listen to us. I, I pray that this is edifying. You can always post on uh, the iTunes. We, we look at those regularly to see the comments and if you want to post a comment there and just tell us uh, what you think of the show, the broadcast, we, we love to see that. It's encouraging for us. Until next time, uh, this is Theology Unplugged. Michael Patton, Tim, Sam, JJ. Bye. You've been listening to Theology Unplugged. Visit our iTunes page by searching Theology Unplugged at the iTunes store. All episodes are available as free downloads. Theology Unplugged is made possible by Reclaiming the Mind Ministries. Reclaiming the Mind Ministries is a listener-supported ministry. If you've enjoyed this session or benefited from it in any way, do consider partnering with us. For information on how to become a ministry partner and for a complete listing of ministry resources, visit the RMM homepage at www.reclaimingthemind.org. Thank you for listening, and God bless.